morning's message is called The Feed, and it's directly connected to the questions that we were just asking you to answer. What I want to talk about this morning, I call it The Feed, and this is the reason why I call it The Feed. I was considering recently the amount of social media that people run, and the amount of news that people run, and the amount of entertainment that people are watching. And if you look at that, they're very often called feeds. For instance, I have a news feed that actually brings feed into my phone, so I see a number of different channels actually send me their updates, and their news feeds from their news feeds. You also have, of course, an entertainment feed. You can be on various entertainment websites and get different forms of entertainment being fed to your phone or getting prompts or reminders, and this stuff is coming into you. You also, of course, have a social media feed, which is a hugely important feed because we're constantly tuning in and checking in into our social media, we're listening to all the stuff going on around us. And what struck me about it was, in the midst of all of those feeds, that's actually a good and accurate description for what it is that we're getting. We are being fed by these sources. As we look at these feeds of news and entertainment and social media, they are in effect feeding us. They're actually getting inside us and they're having an effect on us. Let me take news for an example before we move on just for a second. Let me take news. There's a guy, an English writer, his name is Ralph DeBelli. Actually, I don't think he's English, but he's written for an English newspaper called The Guardian. And he wrote a book recently called The News is Bad for You. You need to turn it off because it's making you unhappy. And the, his argument in the whole thing is that so much of the news that we consume is so bad because bad news leads, if it bleeds, it leads, is the old statement, that bad news actually appeals to us in a strange way, that we are genetically wired to hearing bad news. And one of the reasons I wanted to look at that today was because listening to that continuous feed of bad news, unfortunately at the moment we see a lot of bad news, but even all of this besides, normally the news feed is not great. You will normally find all the bad news up front. You might discover at the end of it, you know, that they'll put in some light-hearted piece about, I don't know, a, a dog in Donegal that can play the piano, or, you know, a child who ran 14 marathons to raise money for his local charity, or something like that. That would normally be the end of it. But the rest of the news will almost invariably be unrelentingly bad, and it's particularly bad at the moment. And not only is the news bad, but it has no effect, no qualitative or beneficial effect to us by and large and hasn't any effect on our lives, the vast majority of the news that we hear has no effect on the quality of our lives. I just wanted to use that as an example. I want to look at the feed and I want us to think today about what it is that we are feeding our souls. I want to think today about what it is that we're putting inside us and the effect that it could potentially be having us. There is a science called neuroplasticity and in neuroplasticity they say that the brain is not a fixed object it is a moving object. It is something that is continually changing. Things are constantly changing in our minds. And the stuff that we consume, the stuff that we read, the stuff that we hear, the stuff that we think about, is actually changing our minds. And it's to that note I'd like to go today. I want to look, first of all, at the words of Jesus. Jesus said something very important and very interesting. He said it right in the middle of Matthew chapter 5. He said something about the eyes. And here's what he said. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But he goes on to say that if your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, what was Jesus talking about when he talks about here? He's talking about two things in essence. One is what we see, and the other is how we see it. When he's saying that the eye is the lamp of the body, 
Uh, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. It very much depends on what you are looking at. Is what you are looking at filling you with light? And it's also talking about treasure. It's about the things that we look at. In this particular context, Jesus is actually, in the verse before, the verse after, he's talking about treasure and wealth and money. And he's saying that, that your treasure and your values will be shown by the way that you see the world. Let me, let me give you a classic example of value. For instance, when I see other people's children, I just see children. I see good children and sometimes bold children. Just like if you see my children, you might see some ch good children and bold children. You just see children. You don't necessarily value them. But when I see my children, I see something of incredible value. When I see, you know, some girl up in the street, it doesn't have any particular effect on me. But when I see my wife, I see something that I treasure and that I value. It's about what I value and what I value actually affects what I see. And it's very important the way that we're thinking as Christian believers, the way that we're thinking as human beings, that what we look at, we have to examine how is it that we value it. Here's an interesting quote. It's a very old quote, but it's a very true one. It says, we do not see the world as it is, we see it as we are. We don't see the world exactly as it is. Nobody has a perfectly uh, objective view of the world. All of our views of the world are subjective. They're subject to our past experiences, they're subject to our thoughts, they're, they're subject to our emotional wiring and so on and so forth. We don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. We are the filter through which we bring the world. Let me give you an example of that. As Paul says, by the way, I put down here unknown because it's been ascribed to loads of different people, but nobody really knows who said this first. The Talmud is probably the most likely, the Jewish Talmud is the most likely origin of that particular quote. We don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. Here's what Paul says in Titus. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. To the people who are pure, everything is pure. But to those who are corrupted and don't believe, nothing is pure. So if I look at something and I see in it and I ascribe to it a corrupt motive or a corrupt practice or a corrupt attitude, then I think that says a lot more about me than it does about the thing that I am observing. And that's really important because I've been wired a certain way just like you've been wired a certain way, just like every human being has been wired a certain way. And we have a wiring that helps us to look at situations and determine are they good, are they bad, what's the motivation of the person in this. And you know, I've been proven so wrong in my motivations of judging where people are coming from. I've been so mistaken so many times about you know the motivation for this or the motivation for that. I've been proven wrong. And so as I go on in life, I'm less likely to give a motivation to somebody and less likely to ascribe the intent to somebody. And it's interesting, he says, to the pure all things are pure. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And one writer said, it is truly said that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, because only the pure in heart will want to see God. May God grant us a, a change in our mind, a, a change in our worldview. And there's a way that we can change our worldview. Maybe like me, or maybe like most people, you look in and you go, you know, sometimes I don't like the way that I see the world. Sometimes I don't like the way that I judge the world. I don't like the way that I, that I feel about the world. Well, it's very simple. We have to change our minds. Or better still, we have to let God change our minds. I'm going to look at a classic scripture. You know the one. It's from Romans chapter 12. And it's verse, It's from Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And it says this. Do not conform, says Paul, the writer, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I've joked about this before, and I mean it. When we think about the renewing of our mind, there's not some magic cloud that comes down like in Star Trek, moving down around our heads like a helmet that kind of somehow renews our mind. There's not some magical or mystical experience that happens in the renewing of our minds. What's going on in the renewing of our minds is us recognizing wrong thought patterns and replacing them with good thought patterns. You know, there's no point in going out all day and being hostile with people and taking people short and insulting people and being your crank all day and then getting on your knees at night and saying, Lord, give me peace, when you haven't put peace into your mind in the first place. We have to be responsible for the way that we think and we have to be responsible for adjusting the way that we think in line with God's way of thinking. Here it is again, it's put here in the NLT. Same, same passage, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but I like this one, he says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Why is that? Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The way we think determines the kind of person we are. Like I said, the way we think determines the way that we view the world. The way that we import to people intentions and motivations that may or may not be there. We don't know. But he's saying, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And the whole purpose of this was, be, was that Paul and all of the ancient writers, and much more so now modern writers, understand that it all takes place in this part of the body. This thing is driving the whole operation. Our minds are driving the whole operation. That's what's going on. It's going on in our heads. Winners and losers are in here. Succeeders and failures, they're in here. Lovers and haters, it's all in here. And sometimes we can get the sense that it's our emotions that are driving us through life. We just had to do it. I couldn't resist it. And so on and so forth. It's something very important that we remember and that is this the chicken or the egg question is this which comes first the chicken or the egg is it the thinking or the emotions come first you know you often hear people i may have even said it myself in life i just couldn't help it i had to say it oh i i, I couldn't believe how angry i was with that person i don't know i just lifted up my fist and i shattered his jaw i never did that to the record but you know you hear people saying i couldn't help it or, or you know i don't know what happened just i I just stabbed him, I don't know, yeah, whatever experience you had, or I, I just lost the cool and I gave her a clatter, I, I don't know, I don't know what people's experiences are, I, I just didn't know what happened to me, I took over and I just gave up to the boss and I lost my job, it, I just got overtaken, you didn't, your thoughts come first, all of modern science and all of the ancient wisdom shows that it's the thinking that leads the emotions, not the other way I love you baby I couldn't stop thinking about you that's right but the thinking about her started before the loving did it was love at first sight no it wasn't it was thinking attractive at first sight and then love grew your thoughts came first and it's very important to remember that that when we look at our minds it's our thoughts that are the drivers of our negative emotions and our good emotions but particularly I want to talk about our negative emotions our anxiety our despair our depression our upset it is our thoughts that are normally driving these things and what we put into our minds will drive those emotions more and more and what's really important 
is to remember that all of this mind changing is not some scientific experiment. It is so that we can live the life that God has called us to live. And the life that God has called us to live is the best way to live. It's that simple. It is the best way to live. Here's what Paul says to the Ephesians. When he says, throw off your old sinful nature. We looked at this last time. Throw off your old sinful nature and your old way of life. Take it off. Just rip it off and throw it away, he says. Which is corrupted by lust and deception. And then he goes on to say, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Aha! Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. He's talking about the power of God being at work in this process to which we are willing participants and willing active parts. That's what we are. He says, put on your new nature. It's like, is it that easy, Paul? It's just take off the old, put on the new. That is exactly as easy as he says. He says, it's just taking off the old and put on the new and let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. You know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7? It says the, the sinful mind is hostile towards God. It's not God's friend. Naturally, it is hostile towards God. If God suggests something, the sinful mind's reaction is to recoil and be hostile towards Him. And He's saying here we have the opportunity to have our minds, our thoughts, and our attitudes, hallelujah, renewed. But we're not in this fight on our own because God has enabled us by giving us his power like I quoted last week or the week before last by his divine power God has given us everything we need for living a godly life he's giving us everything we need what do we need we need the ingredients we need the will and we need the power and God provides them all it's all a matter of our diet what we choose to do with our minds, what we choose to put into our minds, will come out of our minds. You know, there's an old saying, and it's really true, and it's true in the spiritual as well as the natural. You are what you eat. What you eat actually becomes part of who you are. You are what you eat, and it's much more so true. We see this very much so in the natural, but as the scripture says in Corinthians 15, first in the natural, but then also in the spiritual. Let me show you what I mean. Here is a standard food pyramid. Now before you start writing and saying, no, that food pyramid's wrong. I don't think that they should be there and that should be up there. And, oh, no, no, you need to be plant-free or, you know, that should be a vegan. Or what it look grand. Okay, look, you can have your own food pyramid, but you get the point, okay? And here's the point I want to make. If you look at the food pyramid, what you see at the basis of it is the most important food. This is the stuff that we should be consuming the most of. Some people call this the superfoods. They're a necessity. They're absolutely necessary for life. They're your, your grains and so on and so forth. Your, your wheats, your carbon, or <clears throat> your carbohydrates, the ones that actually give you energy. Then above that, you have all those delicious fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm, I love my fruit and vegetables. In our house, we have this huge bowl, a bowl about that size, and it's got this huge pile of fruit in it that just seems to go down every day. We're constantly buying fruit. It's a good, good thing. It's, it's called giving yourself a nudge. Put a bowl of fruit and you're more likely to eat fruit. That's a different, different conversation. Up here then, it looks like, like things like proteins, your chicken and your fish. And all the vegans are going, no, stop it, Michael, no. Yes, but there it is. There are proteins. You can take in your proteins. Anyway, you want to vegetable proteins or fish proteins and meat proteins. But right at the top, right up here, that's where the donuts and that's where the, the Smarties, and this looks like a bagel, or it looks like maybe it's a pan of chocolate that they serve in Cafe Church. Anyway, that's right up here at the top. See that right up at the top? So the idea is that you consume lots of this, a good bit of this, a nice bit of this, but very little of this. 
Let me put it to you another way. Let's look at it spiritually on the same, on the same list. There is, at the bottom of it, the superfood. What is the superfood that we should be eating? The superfood is firstly and primarily God's Word. It is the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, I believe it says, or maybe it's 2, it says, Man does not live by bread alone. Ma uh, Matthew chapter 4, 4, Jesus quotes it, and he says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is superfood for your soul. It's superfood for your soul. It builds you up. It straightens the way that you think. It makes you think right, walk right, and live right. If you take it and you apply it to your life with the help and the power and the enablement of God, that only is ours through belief in Jesus Christ. That is the superfood. That's the stuff that will really, really build us up. And, and then above that, and not only is it just the Bible, just for what it's worth, it's also good Christian writings. It's good Christian proverbs and thoughts. It's really, really good stuff. It's, it, if, if you can get that stuff into your superfood, it'll build you up. It'll change your heart. It'll change your mind. It'll change your life. It'll change the way you think. And above that, you have the good food. What's good food? It's just the generally positive stuff. Get away from the negative. Get away from the negative, continuous negative commentary. We live in a world of negative commentary. There's never been such bad news as there is at the moment, even though it's slightly improving and so on and so forth, and maybe the worst of it is over. It doesn't matter, even when the worst of it is over, I can tell you there will be plenty of bad news. Ralph Dobelli, in his, um, in his book about the bad news, or about the news, says this, we consume between 35,000 and 40,000 pieces of news every year. How many of them can you remember? It just tells you, you're just filling your head with stuff that doesn't matter. The superfood and the good food matters. The good food, let's listen to some positive. Up here is the junk food. Now here's the key. It's not cut out. It's cut down. If you were to change your diet and the dietitian said to you, right, don't eat any food for the next 40 days, that is a useless dietitian. What they would say to you is that you need to cut down on the junk and increase the superfood. That's what they'd say. Cut down the junk and increase the superfood. And you know, the reality is that in all of our lives, there's going to be some bit of junk. We're all going to be wanting to watch a, a pop video or a, 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 some series or something like that. There's going to be junk food in all of our lives. And, and that's the reality. What would life be like if there wasn't some junk food? If you couldn't go to McDonald's every now and again or go to a takeaway and get, or go to, uh, it's hardly junk food. Is it? Would ramen be considered junk food, Emma? No. No, I've just done it officially. Ramen is not junk food, okay? It's really good for you. I just had it. That's great. Wonderful news. But, you know, we need to cut that down and get rid of that stuff and consume the stuff. But above all, it's the superfood of God's Word, which is His, which is food for our souls. It builds us up and changes us as we read it. And how do we do that? Well, we do that really simply. I want to introduce an idea. I'm not introducing any. It's a very old idea, but it's an idea that you will have heard before. It's the idea of meditating. And meditating, also known as chewing the cud, say hello to Sheila the cow. I should say, for a actually, I forget about it. I say hello to the cow. I actually was going to call this the Christian cow, but I thought I might get into trouble in the comments if I did that. Anyway, moving swiftly on. There's a difference between Christian meditation and, say, mindfulness meditation. In simple, it's this. Mindfulness meditation is all about you centered in the now. That's what med mindfulness meditation Now, sometimes it's very useful. But it's very limited in its ability to change your life and affect you. That's what mindfulness or Eastern meditation is like. Christian meditation is different. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about his word. It's also about the past. 
because you're thinking about the past with a sense of thanksgiving or a desire to forgive or a desire to get over something in the past, but it also looks forward with hope to the future. Here's a couple of simple steps that will help you, if you will, to meditate on God's word, to help you to chew the cud. Here's the cud. He has four, four stomachs, four stomachs she has to consume and to break down the, the cellulose in grass and so on and so forth. And so she used to chew it and think about it. And before you think, oh no, I'm not the meditation thing now at all, you meditate all the time. You just don't realize that you're meditating. Did I tell you how you meditate? Have you ever been wronged by someone? Have you ever been cut off in traffic? Or have you ever been insulted by someone or got a text that really offended you? Or had someone cut you, you know, take you short? Or have you been hurt by your wife? A hurt boy, you know, brought by a near relative or by your children, maybe or something like that. And you go home and you think about it. And you lie in bed and you ponder, why did they say that? What were they thinking? What did he mean by that? I mean, he never texts me back. What does that mean? And we sit there and we meditate it. You're a very, very good meditator already. You just don't recognize it. What you've got to do is turn it and use it for your good. Here's five simple steps to meditating that would be useful. First is focus. Psalm chapter 1. Verse 2 says, Blessed is the man who meditates on this law day and night. No, it doesn't mean day and night. You have to go, like, I can't think about anything other than the Bible. No, that's not what it means. But what it means by focus is that we make a plan. We plan to do it. The reason that we don't meditate is because we don't plan to meditate. Take time. Set aside time. Five minutes. Just try it for five minutes. And chew the cud on a piece of God's word. Here we go. Write down what it is that you want to meditate. Here's something I do, do regularly. When I come across a scripture, I actually did it just yesterday. came across a bunch of verses that speak to me. Or if God is speaking to me through, I just write down those verses. Longhand in my journal. And there I can reflect on them. I find that writing down the verses and writing my thoughts about the verses actually helps to kind of work it into my soul. It helps to knead it into me. Deuteronomy chapter 11 says, write it on the doorpost. Write it, on, write it above your door. Write it on your hands. Write it on your hearts. Here we go. Another one for you. Study it. Study the word. Look into it a little bit more closely. What does it say? What, what, this, this one says in Psalm 119 verse 18. says, Lord, open my eyes to your word. Study it. Look into it. What do other commentators say about it? What was the, who was it written to? Why was it written? What was the circumstances? What's the context of the scripture that I'm thinking about? Look into it. I'm talking about a five-minute exercise. That's what I'm talking about. Then, of course, pray. Pray the reality of that verse, or that passage, or that thought, or that proverb. Pray that to be your reality. I mean, Jesus even gave us a demonstration of the prayer of the Our Father. Um, you know, he actually showed us how to pray. And what we need to do is maybe take the scripture, take a psalm, take a verse, and pray that into the reality of our own lives. And lastly, and I knew, you, you knew this one was coming, do it. Do it. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Do not just be readers of the word or hearers of the word only, but do what it says. Do what it says. And you know what? That's the hardest part. It's easy to kind of focus and write and think and contemplate. The hardest part is to walk out. But I remind you that God has given us everything we need to live the life that pleases him. He's given us everything we need. The power of his Holy Spirit is there and available to us to walk out. So for instance, if you begin to meditate on forgiveness, maybe it's a time for you to do and to go and to make up with someone. Maybe it's time for you to be reconciled with someone. Maybe that's something that you're contemplating. Maybe you're reading about giving to God's work or giving to somebody who's in need. It's great to have the feelings and the thoughts, but it must be translated 
into actions. I love when Tom was saying, I think it was last Sunday when he was saying that he knew somebody who said, you know, I really pray for those people, but they don't actually ever do anything. I think it was when he was talking with a good Samaritan. But never actually do anything for those people. The doing is the most important. Once it gets into your will and your actions, brothers and sisters, then the devil is defeated. And we want to defeat the devil. One of the reasons, one of the reasons that we don't enjoy God's word in the way that we can enjoy it, one of the reasons why we don't uh, have it change us the way that it can and should change us is that we don't spend enough time in it, chewing on it, taking it in. Have you ever sat down, I've done it this morning, I sat down with a cup of coffee and worked at the same time? I neither did the work properly nor did I drink the coffee properly. I don't even remember what the coffee tastes like and I like coffee. But you, very often you'll get up from a meal that you ate in a hurry you can't remember what it was that you ate. Or worse still, you've been eating so much junk food that your appetite is spoiled. Don't spoil your appetite. I remember my mother used to give out to us when it was coming up to dinner. And she said, don't go to the shop and buy sweets and don't spoil your appetite. When you're eating lots and lots of junk all the time, you're going to spoil your appetite. If all the space in your head is taken up with all the bad news and all the photographs of whoever on Facebook or you're taken up at the entertainment of the new movie or the latest celebrity gossip or whatever, if all your brain thinking space is taken up, you won't have space to taste God's word. You won't have an appetite to be in God's presence or to hear what he has to say about you, for you, and to you. Let me suggest one last thing before I finish. I love this simple passage from the Psalms. Think about this. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How can we know that the Lord is good unless we taste, unless we, unless we take it in, unless we savor it, unless we reflect on it? And in the process, the beautiful thing that happens is our minds begin to change and our thoughts become renewed and the guy that we hated last week, maybe we don't hate him so much anymore. Or the person that we struggle to love, we suddenly find that we have the grace to love because we are reminded of how much God loves us. Or the person that we really couldn't forgive, we actually find we might be able to begin the journey of forgiveness with them because we're beginning to realize that God loves us. How do we know that? Because we taste and see. We savor God's goodness. Would anybody say amen? I want to savor God's goodness. Now at this stage in my life, but when I'm an old man, I want to be able to say I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. I want to be able to say, listen, I've lived my life out this and I'm telling you I've tasted it. I know and I see that God is good all the time. I want to take it in. I want to taste it. I want to savor it. I want to enjoy it. And I want it to change me. And I hope you do too. We're going to be looking a little bit further at this on Tuesday night. And I hope you can join me. I want to delve a little bit into the book of Philippians, which actually says an awful lot about how it is that we're afraid and what it produces, how the, the life that it produces, if we can get our thinking right. I, I, think, it's, I think you'll enjoy it. If you can tune in, it'd be great for you to join in with me. But before I do that, let me go back to my verse. And let's pray this one out. I'm going to ask you, where you are, would you pray with me? Would you even stand where you are and pray with me. I just I like standing personally when I pray. It's just what I do. I, I, I walk and I stand. I just find it hard to pray sitting. But I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? I'm just going to pray a few sentences. If that's okay. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you see us just as we are. And you love us just as you are, as we are. 
but you love us so much that you don't leave us as we are. You've given us every opportunity, Lord, to have our minds, our hearts, our souls, our thinking and our attitudes changed, Lord, so that we would more reflect the life that you would want us to live. Help us, Lord, to take off the old self with its thoughts and hostile attitudes and put on the new self, Lord. Help us to be changed inside in our thinking and in our attitudes so we see the world as you see it, Lord. I pray, Father in heaven, that we would take the time and have the wisdom to stop what we're doing if we're running in the wrong direction from you, Lord. That we would defeat the enemy by tasting and seeing that God is good. That we would take the time to take in your word, see what it says to us, see what it means for us, see what it feels like for us, Lord. And I pray that many years from now, when we're not as, I don't know, healthy as we are now or whatever, Lord, I just pray that many years from now, we will still be saying that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that he has been my refuge all of my days. In Jesus' name and God's people say, Amen. Can I just say to you, take it in. Take it in. Take it to heart. Take some time. Set some time aside. Take five minutes. Don't take much more than that. Take five minutes. But plan it and make it happen. And I firmly, sincerely, deeply believe that you will be blessed. Like I said, we're going to be looking at it again on Tuesday night next. Now before we finish, I've got one last thing to show you. We're going to be here again on Tuesday night. May God bless you. Thank you for joining in with us. I want to put up a video here, just in a second, as we close, that was sent to me very late last night by a hard-working worship team. That was sent to me by Attila, by, was sent to me last night by Bivik Rimal. Uh, Bivik is uh, from Nepal originally. He's one of our musicians. He plays electric guitar. And uh, Bivik sent, sent me this video that they made together between himself and Sophia and Rebecca, uh, Sophia Pawarek, uh, Sophia, or sorry, Rebecca Dunn, uh, Attila Bori and Agatha Pfister. So the five of them got together and they all recorded these individual videos and they made a recording that we want to play for you now as we close. So stay tuned and stay tuned into this. This is a song called Our Father and it's done by Bethel and we'll wrap up as soon as the song is over. Just two minutes. God bless you and go with you in Jesus' name.
Thank you.